Welcoming you to the Move Swiftly podcast. To all my regular listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you guys more than you will ever know. We are in the full swing of things here in season two of the Move Swiftly podcast. And boy, if you've been with me from day one, you know we have been on a journey. And again, today we have one of those guests, man. One of those guests where uh, I linked up with him on Clubhouse and it was just like instant because the room was on fire and just constant dialogue. Turns out we have similar backgrounds and we're really kind of striving. There's a lot of synergy between the two of us. So with all that, Mr. Victor Nichols, Coach Vic, I should say. What's happening, player? What's up, man? What's up? You right, man. Right off the bat, I, I sensed that energy and, and that was through text. We hadn't even talked verbally. I could just tell. I say something about this dude, man, right off the bat. I think this is going to work out. What's up? It's it, it's funny though, because of my like the very first episode I did with with Taj Deshaun and, and you, he was in that clubhouse room too. I was I quoted Jay Z and it was like real recognize real and you looking familiar. And and that's that's the way it works. And, and to anyone, we're just gonna start dropping gems early today. Anyone listening in that might feel lost, especially former athletes who are in that real world, just know the resources are there. There are people there that that been through what you've been through and they they're thinking the way you're thinking. You just got to really lock in and go out and find people. You cannot just sit back and expect things to just happen. Not going to work like that. You got to grind. You got to really just focus and, and get there. So with that, man, I just kind of wanted to to start this whole thing off by you telling people where you played and, and what what made you transition into this speaker that you are and then the coach and the entrepreneur. that. So, so where did you play? And, and we can kind of get things started from there. Yeah, man. So I spent my college career at Eastern Kentucky University, right? One AA school right down the street from Big Brother University of Kentucky. Uh, everybody heard about UK. Nobody knew about EKU. Uh, we were the colonels, often joked as Kentucky Fried Colonels, right? Until we showed up and showed out on your field. Anyway, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> that's what that's how I was raised, man. You get up, you show up, you show out. Those are the those are the only options. And when you get there, you ball till you fall. So those are some of my, my core values that I know I take with me. And so you asked me, you know, how did I transition into this space? Well, you know, I was fortunate enough to earn a scholarship to go to EKU. Um, mm -hmm. football, now, wait, what year were you there? 2002 to 2006. Okay. I played DB. I played safety. Um, you know, the coach that actually recruited us, 
Roy Kidd, he was at the time ranked, I think, third winning his coach. He was up there with Paterno and uh, Bowden and all of those guys. Mm. Um, and then I came in freshman year. He retired after my freshman year. So we were his last recruiting class. So new coach wow. comes in, as you know, new regime, yeah. new, new style. And you got to figure out, you know, do you stay, right? Which the portal, the transfer portal didn't really exist the way it yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say, right? Yeah, it didn't really exist for us. I mean, you could, but I was raised, you stick it out, right? This this, this is where you chose. You made a decision. You can still get to the league from here. Plenty of people have, you know? Um, Please so, say that one again, because listen, and again, I hate to cut you off. Go, go for it. But that, in my opinion, that is what's ruining this game. I, and listen, I'm for the athletes being able to make their own decisions and do these things. But at that age... You ain't bringing no money. I mean, you, you're you not an NFL player. You should not be able to just go transfer in, transfer out. Now, I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland. And, you know, now with the recruiting the way it is there, I know in Florida it's different because the talent, there's so much talent spread around. So the recruiting at the high school level isn't as bad. But in D.C., where it's a basketball state, it's bad. I mean, there's high school kids that are going to three different schools, three different schools all three years of their high school career. Mm ridiculous mm. and it's all just about transferring in and out i'm gonna commit decommit all kinds of nonsense and and it's like what are we teaching you know what do we teach he's just said it he said he man of his word you know that that is so important i think that's what what you just said is so important that i had to really re-emphasize that because it's a loss it's like a lost art these days man yeah like i mean the generation you see it and you talk about you know where i am now in the corporate space but you see yes. it millennials and the gen z's they they don't commit they stay there maybe one to three years on average in the workforce well where does that start that starts from parents allowing kids to quit like mm. at, at what point are you forced to accept your decision your responsibility right and mm -hmm. just work put in that work going somewhere else doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna still get drafted there's only yeah. so many guys getting drafted in your position right yeah so figure it out. That's at least what I'm teaching yeah. my kids and what I try to teach any of the kids that I coach. So I ended up finishing yeah. my season. So here's what's interesting. I ended up mm -hmm. finishing my season in 2006, but I didn't graduate in 2006. So being from Florida, you know, the weather's nice. You live in Florida now. You know what it's like. I, I grew up I do. Training. I, do. I, I, grew up, I grew up training year round, right? Yeah. So Every summer in college, I would come home to train and work out. I was fortunate enough. My uncle played in the league, uh, Marlon mm -hmm. McCree. He played uh, nine years in the league. So he's only six years older than me. So at the time that I'm in college, he's in the NFL. So I would come home during the breaks, especially like summer, and I'm working out with him and other NFL players. I get a better workout back in Florida than I did staying up at Richmond. So yeah. I would go home, get that work in come back well when i got to the end of my senior season i finished that fall the spring rolled around and i'm like i'm going home to train i'm not about to be up here in the cold weather limited you know let me go train and spend those next couple of months well draft time rolls around camps roll around um and i don't get that call you know uh hmm. and that was devastating wow there's a lot of players, and I'm I'm sure you can relate to this, who when when the game is done, you see it. 
you know that yeah. window is small. Yeah. And you almost suffer from a form of PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to touch a football. I, I couldn't watch the game of football. I put my cleats way in the back of the closet. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't be around the game. The game that I love and had been playing since I was seven years old, I couldn't even be around it. So how I ended up in the corporate space and motivating people where I've always been in a place where I was a team captain, responsible for getting the team going. I'm a vocal leader. I'm a, I play safety. I'm the mm-hmm. quarterback of the defense. So I got to get everybody going. That's what my coach always said. You were responsible for getting the group going. Fast forward to the corporate space now, I'm still responsible for that. I, I entered into this space of professional speaking, starting out as a trainer. I started out in sales where I got to talk. So for me, mm-hmm. I'm just doing what came natural to me, what was my gift and what was my, you know, now my calling, to be quite honest. Right. Now, so that I want to kind of back up a little bit. Once you, once you, were finished playing when you were finished playing how long did it take you what what kinds of things did you have to do because I've I've went through very similar situation I knew I was going to make it to the league when I was in high school because there was I went to good council and there were so many NFL players coming out of my high school that I knew what the league looked like so I didn't have to go through it that much in college but I'm curious I'm always curious to know the ones who actually went to college and expected to go to the NFL what was what kinds of things did you do through that transition? You know, that year when you didn't get the call and, and it's all I mean, it's kind of glamorized it now with all the documentaries. You know, you're just sitting there waiting for a call. You have a draft party. You expect all your family and friends are there. And everyone's there. That is a very, very low moment for everyone because the the, the goal and he knows going into this that one percent makes it he knows he's playing at a small school he knows all these things but in your mind you really thought you were going to the league (laughs) in your mind realistically it happened and that is a tough pill to swallow that I don't think a lot of fans and the people who who support this game I don't think a lot of them really understand how low of a moment that is so can you kind of just talk about what pulled you out of it because you're not at this stage you're not complaining. You're not crying about it. You can feel it through everything you just said. You've moved on. And everyone, I think everyone needs to hear that, how you were able to move on from that. Yeah. So the roller coaster coming out of Florida, mm-hmm. speed kills, right? Everybody knows that. I ran Absolutely. A, I ran a 4-5-1. I was ranked in the top 100 coming out of Florida for high school. Um, uh, my top five schools were all SEC. I was verbally committed to LSU, had a high ankle sprain going into the second game of my senior year they pulled their verbal nobody else is looking at me I ended up going to EKU last minute because it was the last chance I could get to get a scholarship we all know that Florida players are on just about every college team fast forward I'm a three-year starter at Eastern Kentucky we're playing big schools I'm getting seen senior year finishes I'm decent my stats I passed the eye test I'm 6'2 I'm 208 I run a 4540 so I knew I wasn't getting drafted. My best chance was going to be getting a call to come on practice squad and show what I can do. At this time, my uncle is still in the league. So yeah, me maneuver I can. I, I go to a regional combine before the big one in Indy. So we talk about the transition and what you do. Yeah. No combine, you had to score a seven. I missed it by 0.7 when all my, all my tests were over. So I didn't get an invite to go to Indy. Okay, well, let me see. I got a couple of teammates getting calls from 
uh, teams, hey, they, are they looking for safety? Can I get on? That don't mm. work out. So I got to I gotta work out a little bit. I got to stay in shape. So I'm still trying to do that. I get a little BS job that's willing to be flexible enough to allow me to still train. The draft comes and goes. There's an opportunity to possibly go play arena ball or go up to Canada. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to go to Canada. I tried out for arena team. Matter of fact, after I left and uh, the draft was over, I moved to, to Maryland. I was living in Frederick, Maryland. All um, right, my neck of the woods. Yeah, my uncle lived up there. So I went and stayed with him, had a little job that was flexible, trained. Now, were you were you training then? Yeah, I was still training, working out, because I, I, ha- I knew I had a slim window. So when the arena call yeah. came, uh, matter of fact, first I got a call from the Lexington Horsemen, the arena team in Lexington. Yeah. That's where a right. lot of my teammates ended up. And then I, when I went to Maryland and D.C., they had an arena team. So I went, tried out, made the team, but the game was just so different than what I was used to. And yeah. it wasn't that I couldn't keep up. It's just the the rules were ingrained in me of what the game was. I knew I wanted to play, but that wasn't the ball I wanted to play. And the team and the coaches and stuff, I was just used to more organization. So when I say that I put everything down, I just literally called them and said, hey, look, I'm not coming to practice. I'm done. Put the cleats up. Um didn't touch and a football and on. just went to work, went straight to work. I said, I'm, I'm, I got to get a job because at the end of the day, all I know is to work. Yeah. Went to work. Now, did you, did you, did you go back and finish school or did you just go right into working? I went right into working. I didn't finish my, I didn't get my degree until 16 years later. My daughter and me, wow. she walked across the stage one week. We went up to Eastern Kentucky and I walked across the stage the next week. And Eric Thomas said, look, in a, in a, in a four-year degree, they don't count dates. They don't have dates as long as you finish. <laughs> and he found his why. He had a why. Uh, <laughs> he had yeah. a why. He's like, there's, there's people doing, not doing what I'm doing. I got a PhD. Did you guys catch that one? Did you guys catch that one? He figured it out 16 years later. So many of you college kids out there, they're just going through the motions, going through school, just whatever. But the experience. So, so let's talk about that process a little bit, man, because that, I think, is really, really powerful. You know, mm-hmm. when, when you said you went to work, what exactly did you do and how did you, again, where did that transition come to where now it's like, all right, I can motivate people. And I know your daughter probably has a huge, huge deal to do with that. or It's a huge reason for, for that, but I'll let you tell it a little bit. Yeah, so at the time, you know, my wife now, we start we had just started dating. And mm-hmm. um, you this know, was in Maryland? Yeah. So she was in Cincinnati. Uh, my wife and I, my kids are actually my stepkids, right? But they're mine. So anybody mm-hmm. asks you, they're, they're absolutely mine, right? And absolutely, yeah. she had already had uh, two kids when we met, but I knew instantly we were going to be together. Like this, 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 this is my little mama, as I call her, right? So right. Um, I go to work. She's in Cincinnati. I'm in Maryland. We're trying to figure out, do I come to Cincy? Do I, do we, does she come to Maryland? I ended did she up go to, she went to Kentucky with you? You guys just no, met online? We met online. We met online. Wow. And you talk about small world. Uh, my roommate, uh, one year in college, he was from Cincy. And yeah. EKU is a suitcase campus. So on the weekends, nobody was there but the athletes, right? So we yeah. were stuck. Yeah. If you live within a couple of hours, you drove home. So my roommate would drive back to Cincy. Well, I went with him a couple of times. So I became familiar with the city. Well, yeah. fast forward, after we get out of school, me and my wife, we met online. Uh-huh. I searched Cincinnati. 
we ended up connecting. I come on a visit. Turns out my wife and my roommate are first cousins. Didn't even know. Yeah. There you go, man. Yeah. My first, I was at Carson Newman my freshman year and it was right next to us, right near Kentucky. We had a lot of Ohio guys. I had a good friend from Cincinnati, went to Whitten Woods and all that. Yeah. They got some dogs. They got some dogs, St. X and all that. They Ohio, do. man, because of football players. You know, coming out of Florida, I didn't give much respect to any state that wasn't Florida, Georgia, or Texas, right? You guys we, never did. Never did. Uh, yeah, you were the you main one that never gave us no respect. <laughs> the main one talking about your basketball stand. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's it, right? That's all <laughs> we knew. I mean, coming from football year round, like we talking to guys. Yeah. Was like so so what was y'all spring game like what you mean spring game I had no idea we we played basketball in the spring yeah <laughs> or no, we were running baseball lacrosse track right okay so we did too right i played football in the fall then you transition and you go to basketball from basketball you go to track and then from track you go back to spring football like i ran yeah, track yeah. in high school qualified for state every year and never went because spring football started up right they, right they yeah what my sport was yeah, so, it, 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 it's just a different, it, it's different, man. I, I remember meeting so many of you guys and the swagger, man, it, it's Florida. It's Florida football, man. And even when I first moved out here to like, you move, if, if football and fitness is your thing, you're going to like it out here. So. Yeah, you're going to love football. <laughs> um, but go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Man. No, it's, it's good. It's good. It's reminiscent now. It got me, got me thinking. But you talk about, you know, I ended up being an assistant manager at Kmart, right? So I went to work. And mm -hmm. mandatory retail, big box retail, it is not for the faint of heart, but I wasn't afraid to work, right? They, yeah. they want to take you fresh out of college. Well, I felt like my options were limited because I didn't have a degree. And as you're looking for jobs, everything want to see a degree, want to see a degree, right? It's like now where, you know, the world and employers are more open to you got to have experience and or a degree. Back then it was all the weight was on a degree. This is 2007. 2008. Yes. So I ended up being able to get on. I worked there for a year. Actually, I'm there six, seven months. And my wife and I finally decided, you know what, I'm coming to Sensi. So I transferred to Sensi. I'm still working for Kmart up until like November of 2008. Hmm. I say big box retail is not for me. I walked away. But I told her, I say, I promise you, I'm going to get a job. So next month, I end up coming on with the company I'm with now. And I've been with them ever since it's 12 and a half years, but it was sales. I knew I had to gift a gap. It was inside wow. sales. I knew it was hard, but yeah. I was willing to work hard because I got a family counting on me. Yeah. Right. Instantly, right. I got a family. I got a wife and two kids. So I would put my my family's picture. We took photos, me, my wife, and the kids at the time, would put it on my desk in front of the phone because. Mm -hmm. I said to myself, I got to look them in the face on the days that I don't feel like picking up the phone and tell them I'm not working today. And I just couldn't yeah. do it. I was committed right. to making sure that they ate, even if that meant I went without. And I think a lot of people, they lost that work ethic. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Because nowadays, that, that type of grind is like a loss, is lost in how much we're shrinking. And, and I've said this, so I mean, for you, I know you listeners are probably tired of hearing me say this, but I'm gonna say it again. This social media world, is a great world. I'm not knocking it, love it. I love the fact that we is, can get in touch with anybody like, you know, me and Coach Vic would not know each other had it not been for the advancements of technology and social media and all that. However, 
it still gives people an opportunity to hide. You get to go on your private accounts and you get to talk a bunch of shit about people and keep it in circle. And when these are people you can be connecting with, you're deciding not to take advantage of it. And this type of grind is lost. I mean, he had to really go through it, man. I mean, to go from a football player that's about to go to the league. Do you you guys really get the day-to-day? And and this is why I really, you know, dived in and wanted him to share that. You're talking about someone who was about to go to the league. I mean, the NFL, everything, everybody knows that to now his day-to-day is managing a Kmart. Do you understand the slice of humble pie you have to take every single day when that that was your dream? That's what you would envision. And then literally when you snap your fingers, you're just a regular dude, you know? And again, being a starter at a 1AA school is a very difficult task. I know a lot of you guys who ain't played the game don't really realize that, but that's a difficult thing. Especially when you had, you know, SEC and LSU and all those kinds of schools that was was chomping at the bit for you and, you know, injury go. So, uh, again, that story about how your family took you to another level, I appreciate you sharing that. But but I want to know, like, how, you know, when it comes to you coaching now, and, and I listen to for some of your shows and your podcast, it's Purpose Addict, correct? Yeah. yeah how did all of this come to play? Because you could have stayed very selfish you could have been like those people I talked about that just say look this is my family I'm not gonna I'm not gonna share this knowledge with the world when did that come about was it her was it the dog like how how did you get to this point now where now you're motivating people like me like this morning I was fired up you got me fired up for the run this morning you know how did you get to a point where you're starting to share your story and be so open and transparent about it you know um there were there were a couple of things you know, purpose mm-hmm. addicts, the premise behind the show is really that we're trying to help people understand that purpose is not a destination, but a direction. Yeah, I, rem- right? yep, I remember it. I heard that one. Yep. So if that's the case, then that means the lessons are in the middle and that you got to focus on the journey. So throughout my journey, there were things that I learned, like see it through is a poem I learned through my fraternity. And if is another poem, right? See It Mm -hmm. Through is a poem that talks about when you're up against the trouble, meet it squarely face to face. Lift your chin and set your shoulders, plant your feet and take a brace. When it's vain to try to dodge it, do the best that you can do. You may fail, but you may conquer, see it through. Shout out to the cues. That life lesson carries over into my life and why I have to share my message with Mm -hmm. other people because as being a part of sports, being a part of a family, being a part of a group, I understand that my purpose wasn't meant to serve me. My purpose was always meant to serve others. So I got to do my part. There's another poem I learned, Bridge Builder. It talks about a man, a traveler going on a journey and he overcomes challenges, right? That were difficult for him. But instead of going on, he stops and builds a bridge over a raging river. Somebody asked him, why are you building a bridge when you've already crossed? And he said, I'm thinking about the person coming after me, that they're path over this obstacle won't be as hard as it was for mine. So that's why I share my journey. That's why I coach now. I understand that there are people, kids, my own kids who wanted to go off to college or trying to figure their own life out. And here I am working my tail off, wanting the best for them, wanting better for them than I made and had for myself. I got to go back to school and I got to finish what I started. They knew I didn't graduate. So what do I look like telling them go to school and graduate, go to do this and finish? You Mm. didn't do it. As a parent, you you are answering the question with your actions. What kind of what kind of person do you want your kids to be? 
That's the question that you are answering with your actions. But not everybody's thinking about that and not everybody's willing to be held accountable. They say, when you point the finger at somebody, you gotta be careful because you got three pointing back at you. I focus on the three pointing back at. Like that's the major difference when you talk about why share your message and why motivate people. I'm trying mm -hmm. to get people to remove obstacles in their life so that they can get to the place that they most desire to be, even when that obstacle is them. And so how many times has that obstacle been you, right? I think- You know, and- story. Well, Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I was just yeah, gonna go say, ahead. I think people relate to stories and journeys mm -hmm. to help them find their way. So at, at the end of the day, that's really all I'm looking to do is through shared experiences, help people find their way. Now that, that ultimately, kind of slams you and I in a dilemma, you know, because okay. nowadays we are seen and mo a lot of people, first of all, a lot of people aren't doing this type of work, but the people that are doing this type of work, we have to also be black men. You know, we can't just be men who do this work. All of a sudden, you know, when, when we're talking, I believe, I think it was Jay-Z who said this at one point, like, that's the guy who used to be this, you know, when you're black, I actually said this in my book is when you're a black man, that's not making money as an entertainer, whether it's an athlete or a rapper, you got to give some kind of explanation as to why you want to be, be so productive or why, what you do for a living now that you didn't make it. How do you deal with those stereotypes? I, I mean, I, 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 this is more of a selfish question for myself because as someone that's now developing and hopefully by the time this comes out, I'll be a full-time professional paid speaker. I struggle, Coach Vic, with how am I going to deal with being the black guy that's motivated as opposed to just being a motivational guy, just as opposed to just being a great speaker. Oh, that's the black guy who's a great speaker. You know, how do yeah. you deal with that stereotype, especially when the media is pumping this up so much with all the things that are going on with whether it was George Floyd, whether it was Colin Kaepernick, whether it was Ahmaud Aubrey, whether it was Brianna. I mean, the, the media is like having a field day this past year about keeping this conversation going. And not to say that it's a bad conversation, but there's a lot of people that are talking that really don't know or don't have a plan, don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and they don't have to be black men, but they have an opinion on it now. So, so please speak on that a little bit. You know, you're right, man. That 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 is a dilemma that we live with every day. Like we have to be intentional from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed. When I leave home, I got to think about before that what I wear, right? Because mm -hmm. I don't want somebody to perceive me a certain way because at the end of the day, I just want to make it home like everybody else. But I think to answer your question, I was fortunate enough that my mom told me early on growing up, you know, you get into sports, you are not a dumb job. You're not a dumb job. You're an athlete. And there's a difference. You know, mm. athletes carry that stigma of being a dumb jock. You, you play sports, your sports will carry you through. Don't worry about your grades. Well, my mom didn't play that. Like I got, I had a 4.0 all the way through school from kindergarten through high school. Right. Wow. I, I got my first B in, I think it was the 10th grade. I had a class that was hard geometry, hated geometry. Um, and I brought home a B and I was terrified. I'm in the 10th grade. I'm 6'1". Unbelievable. I'm 185 wow. pounds. I'm scared wow. of my mom that I'm bringing home a B because the <laughs> Well, my, my dad would have loved you for sure. Mom, <laughs> <laughs> listening to, he's probably having a field day listening to you. See, boy, look, look. What, he's on a field day. But go ahead, man. But that's just it. Like my mom, she's, her, her expectation was you try your best. And I know mm -hmm. what your best is. And if your best is better than everybody else, so be it. 
you're black. So on top of that, you have to mm -hmm. try your best. You got to always be on your P's and Q's. In high school, so I thought that I was the first person to thought of this. I wanted to play in the NFL and also be a lawyer. I thought I was the first person to, and the only person to ever think about that. It shows you how smart I was, right? Um, wow. But I went to a, a law magnet high school. I had to apply to school. I went uh, to a school outside of my district. So I had to ride a bus for an hour before I even got to school because I was one of the very first stops. Um, my goodness, wow. Yeah, I studied law, got to college, majored in political science because that was the plan, NFL lawyer, NFL lawyer. But in the back of my mind, all I kept hearing is you're an athlete. And when you get into sports, I don't think people who are non-athletes understand the messages that are presented to you. I remember coach after coach who, when they talk to you, you may have had this, but they would say, you're a student athlete. And for the people who are only listening via audio, I held up for student two fingers, as in number two, as in second, athlete, you're a student athlete. The message they were sending to you is that you're a student second, you're an athlete first. You need to understand yeah. that. You need to understand yeah. that. And so my mom told me going to college, don't let them people use you, get your degree. Mm. So you talk about feeling disappointed when all of this was over, I didn't get my degree. After all mm -hmm. of that work, I didn't get my degree and I didn't get in the NFL and I didn't take care of my moms, my family. I didn't do none of that stuff. So to, to handle, how do you handle being black, being a motivator and being in this space now? I am a athlete, which means there's more to me. And I first had to believe that in myself. And as I come into these spaces where a lot of times I'm the only black, I am token and I've been token in classes and in different spaces for a long time. Mm. I remind myself that I'm dealing with people because regardless of race, color, creed, I think that we are more similar than we are different. And all of us want to make it home at the end of the day. Yeah. All of us want to make income while we're making an impact. All of us have an idea of how we could do that and we're trying to figure it out so for us people like you and i yes it's unfortunate that this country and society puts us in boxes or tries to they try to label us and oftentimes people who say they don't see color that's a lie you're lying you see my color and i hope you see my color because that's what makes me different the question is do you see my character hmm. so for us we have to operate in a way that our character shines and people know my name for my brand. You quote Jay-Z. Jay-Z said, I'm a businessman, not a business man. So understand that everything you do has to be intentional and on purpose because that's going to speak volumes about who you are. I needed people yeah. to know who I was without that jersey, without that number, without that team logo. I needed people to know who Vic was. And that's what yeah. I try to impart on people every day in my walk. Wow. Wow. And and that, man, that, that there's so much there that you said, but in, in many ways, to be honest with you, Coach Vic, I know it, it may seem like a disappointment back then, but in many ways, I feel like you not getting the degree at that point is a blessing because yeah. like you, I, I too had to, once I finished playing ball, I had to finish. I had like a couple credits left and I finished it at a at an online school too. And it, it wasn't, you know, 16 years, but I still 
it took me some time to be done with playing football to actually get that. Like I was in the working world and I was doing things and seeing it, just seeing life as a non-athlete. And it made the biggest difference in the world because when you get it while you're playing, you know, you're around so much privilege. They, they, they give you the jerseys, they give you your books, they give you all kinds of privileged things. And you see people who are on college campuses and they're struggling. I mean, there was one student I met. He, he used to, I, I went to school in New York, I finished at Stony Brook. He used to drive from Connecticut all the way to New York. <laughs> you mm. know what I'm saying? Two hours. And I mean, there's so many people that go through this college process that are struggling that sometimes, you know, just give, just take a step back from it. Stop being the football player. And you could really focus in on what, how you want to use your degree. And now you can really share your voice with the world. And, and that, that leads me into to the next point I want to talk to you about is this new thing, the NLI. And, and I kind of want you to, to speak to the current athletes now who now have the opportunity to make money on their name, likeness and image. And what would you kind of, what would you advise them to do in the world, in the current climate that we're living in now? Like, how would you, how would you handle it? If this, if you were playing, you know, 16 years ago, Hey, Hey, young man, young woman, get paid. That's the first message I'm going to say to you. I wish, Love it. I wish, Love it. get paid, young man, young woman, get paid. Right. And that sound good. Get to the fortune. I'm not mad at you. You, you absolutely mm -hmm. need to because here's the other thing that I think is a misconception about athletes who are on scholarship, right? You use the word privilege. And yes, there are some perks to being on scholarship, but what people don't understand is at the collegiate level, sports is now a business. It is a source of revenue for the school. And so you are on call year round. We were told you need to be done with classes by 1.30. Why? Because you had to be yeah. in the training room, wrap, tape, ready for meetings, be on time. When the season was over, you still had to work out and you had to pick times, either 6 a.m. or 2 in the afternoon because in between that you had classes. But guess what? You could very easily get a call. Hey, the GA is coming uh, to pick you up. I want you to go read books at this school. For what? I don't, I don't want to do that. You want to go do that. <laughs> Why I gotta go do that? One of the alumni is it, their school. We're doing a we're doing a favor for them. It's it's good community service. You'll like it. What you gotta understand Alum, is, and they and the alumni putting up the money. So the alumni putting up the money. It's a business. The alumni right. put up the money to then use the players in the offseason for what they want. The reason they mm -hmm. wanted us to come up in the summer and work out was to work at the alumni's car dealership, washing their cars and work at the, the chicken place and the other little restaurant. And they called it, that was your scholarship and how you paid for your time there. Listen, mm -hmm. it's a business. So mm -hmm. to, to my athletes who are in college now, I wish I had that opportunity because being on scholarship didn't mean that I didn't have to buy toothpaste and toiletries and everything else. I still was hungry. I still had to buy that stuff and my mom couldn't afford that. I tell you what, mm. it would have been nice to just get $300 a week. Cause you know what I would have did? I would have sent it home to my mom who was struggling still. I'm on scholarship wow. and she's struggling to keep the bills paid and, and everything going. Cause she still had my younger brother, right? To help, mm -hmm. right? Things didn't just get better cause I'm on, on scholarship. And also right. I was sending that money home so my mom could actually see me play. I go off to this Eastern Kentucky and we don't play games in Florida. It costs my family to come see me play. You could at least send that money home so my people can play, especially yeah. at the time that I was in school. 
This is when NCAA came out and they added one AA players in schools to the game. You remember that big lawsuit with EA Sports, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, when you And they up, were actually, yeah, because the uh, FCS broke. Well, back then it was called 1AA, but now it's FCS. They were on the, the actual video game, the EA Sports video game. Were. We used to play with <laughs> Hofstra and all those schools. I was at That's Eastern good, Kentucky, yeah. and they didn't have your name, but when you pulled it up, I'm 2004 playing the game mm -hmm. with my boys, and of course we're going to play with ourselves because guess what? When they pulled it up, they showed number 20 from Orlando, Florida, 6'2", 198 pounds. Who else yep. is that with the number 20? That's me. Exactly, exactly. But yeah. where did that money go? Where, where did I, I didn't get any of that money. I didn't get right. none of that. So for this, this should college athletes be paid? Absolutely. Because when I went into right. the bookstore and they had jerseys there with my number on it and people are buying it and they wearing it in the stands and all of that, mm -hmm. and people weren't buying 20 and whatever other popular number it was because they didn't like the player. They bought it for the same reason that they buy NFL and any other jersey. Exactly. That's what fans do. So yes, get paid. But my advice to you is learn how to run a business because you, right. your brand is now a business. And you need right. to understand what are the components that every business must have in order to scale, in order to grow. Because that's something that they don't teach you in school. They teach you how to go work for somebody else. That's what the school system is. They don't teach you how to own your own business. That's what I try to instill in my kids now. So my advice is learn how to be an entrepreneur. Learn how to take control of your brand so that way you don't get taken advantage of. I wish I could go back. Yeah, you know, and, and you could choose to agree or disagree with this, but I've I've come to the conclusion that if I was running the NCAA, I would cut one AA and F, like all the program and D2 and D3. And I would keep the schools that make money, like the big stadiums, mm -hmm. like the LSUs and just make it so in your situation that LSU could take you even though you may be injured, but just give you some time to kind of get it right. Just give them more scholarships because they're the ones bringing in all the revenue. You got to think where we played, the fan base isn't big enough to pull in a whole lot of money. So when, when you talk about now, the money, like if you're not Trevor Lawrence, even at Clemson, who's going to buy the, the right, even know the right tackle's name for Clemson? <laughs> like who's going to go and buy his jersey? So, you know, and, and this is why I, I would cut those programs. But again, that's a conversation for a different day. But the point about being an entrepreneur, it is so important because what's blowing up in the media is like, yes, everybody can make money, but let's be very honest. Everybody's not Trevor Lawrence. Everybody's not Tim Tebow. Everybody's not going to be Reggie Bush. Not very many of the athletes are going to actually see any revenue whatsoever unless, unless you have the entrepreneurial mindset, unless you start to say, all right, look, I'm an athlete, but at the same time, I got to. I got to go out there and push my product. I got to go out there and push my brand because if I'm not at, if I'm not at Alabama, they, people ain't showing up like that. The, the revenue ain't going to be coming in. These, these big stadiums are not going to be filled. So I think it's, it, it kind of reemphasizes the point that, yeah, they're doing a great thing, but at the same time, it's not going to be all the problems are solved. And that's where I hope athletes get the point to where, yeah, it's great, but it's not going to just solve your problems. It's not going to be like the coach is giving you things. And that's kind of where I'm at with the situation. Well, let me, let me, let's have that conversation mm -hmm. a little bit. Let's yeah. dive a little bit deeper. I'm so listening. the thought that came to mind is 
technology and social media and we didn't have it. But these yeah. kids nowadays do and they understand how to use it. Every business started out being a small business and had to grow. All the big names started out small. And if kids start to look at themselves as that small business, they can execute in a similar way, right? Every right. business has to get its name out there. You got to raise awareness. You cannot be the best kept secret, which is what they're already used to is getting in front of the camera. Hey, look at me, look at me, right? So you mm -hmm. go on a marketing campaign for yourself. Then you need a sales funnel to collect leads, right? You need people interested in buying you who you are and your brand, just like any other business. And then you try to figure out how to turn that lead into a customer and possibly a repeat customer that continues to buy your product so that not only after your collegiate career is over, but when you transition into your corporate space or you transition into owning your own business in a, a different platform, those same customers and fan base who love you, they travel with you. You think about all these NFL players, they did a good job of branding themselves that now mm -hmm. whatever they're doing, those same fans are following them. So but do you think, like, let's say it was a school like yours. Now, do you think a school like yours that doesn't have the fan base, do you think that they're going to be able to survive this? I do. I do. Because uh, the school itself has a system. Like, I don't know if it was like this for you, but I found out that the football team, the money that we generated, a portion of it had to be allocated to the other sports right yes yes um, that that happens often yeah that happens often right so mm -hmm. okay how do you reallocate the money now because these athletes in all the sports are starting to make a name for themselves at a school like eastern kentucky let's let's be honest one double a school at least in the football realm the only difference between a one a school and a one double a athlete is the the player probably had one attribute that was less like i ran a four or five but i was just as yeah strong. or you got or you just got hurt during the process or you got like, hurt like really it's like, really a small difference between the the talent level that's why i would have i would have liked i mean i i honestly would have seen like you at an lsu i just would see someone like you at LSU and the money that goes into these FCS programs, I would love to see an actual feeder league. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Instead of just that. abolish that and see like, maybe I didn't explain myself before. I would cut F I would cut FCS, cut D2, cut D3, put that money into a league, a developmental league. So we go from LSU to that league, pay them and then go to the NFL. Because right now, again, the biggest, and I used to work for the Dolphins and, I learned this when I worked for the Dolphins. The biggest revenue generator for any sports team is the fan base. Mm -hmm. And now when you don't have that fan base and you give players the opportunity to make money at a place like Eastern Kentucky, mm -hmm. it's like, look, you got league talent. <laughs> you know, you got league talent. What's going to incentivize you to stay if you can make money on your own and be like, look, yeah. if there's a feeder league. So, again, I mean, yeah. not with that thought, though. Would, do you think they would survive with that? Yeah, no, I think I, I like that idea. I think, right. you know, a feeder league makes a whole lot of sense. You know, like you said, I would love to see even the, the way that the uh, bowl system and the championship, I would love to see that restructured. Exactly. Um, I, I think we could do it better. It's just we don't like change. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it, especially if the ones who are getting paid are continuing to eat. Exactly. And and I, I got this idea just from listening to a lot of people that have been, I, I think it was, I don't know if you watched Last Chance You with JB, Coach JB Brown. I didn't he was see on that. A friend of mine. 
I remember but he's a that. friend of mine. He did a podcast. He did a podcast with her. And he was saying, because he's at the JUCO level. And nowadays, those big schools, now they go to JUCO. So now high school kids, they don't even have to work. I, when I coach high school, yo, bro, they were, coaches were telling them, look, your grades don't even have to be that good. You just go to a JUCO if you got the talent. And then somebody's going to come get you in a full scout. And it's that mentality now to where I think schools like the ones we played at, the hardworking coaches who don't really make a lot of money. They, they do it from the heart and the fan base, like they barely break even now, especially with this idea of just going to a Juco and plucking a bunch of kids who didn't get it done in the classroom, like lazy kids, like literally had, had coaches telling them, look, you got a two, two, I, you straight, I'm gonna get you to Juco. And then, you know, to, to boost up, there you go. That's an, again, another conversation for another day. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I feel for the places I, I played a Division two school and I played at a, a Division one AA school just like you. And I, I feel for them because, again, now you're really up against it. You're really up against it. And, again, you and I got to do what we got to do to simply teach entrepreneurship and teach these players. Look, now, especially now, where you can, you in the real world now. I mean, when Tebow went on his rant for, for the – when that first came out last year, I kind of felt this point. I really did. I felt this point. I, I, I'm for athletes getting paid, but there has to be something in which we teach them entrepreneurship. So it because it's almost like a house built on sand. It's like yeah. this says in the Bible, house built on sand. If you don't build this house on a rock, the whole thing just gonna blow over. Because Alabama is gonna just eat. And, you know, it's gonna be about Alabama. They gonna they gonna probably win another 15 in a row because they pulling in so much money to where it just becomes about, look, I'm gonna go to this high school kid. I could pay you X amount of dollars right now. Let's sign. Yeah. And then it yep. just becomes that like that. So again, this is probably a conversation we could probably go back and forth about. Yeah. But I, I really love your, your input. And again, I learned something about you, man. I didn't realize your first B was in, in 10th grade. I would have never guessed that. And those are the kinds of stories that I love hearing, especially on this podcast. Why I started this show is to, to show people athletes in a different light and how, you know, we're so much more than what you see as a player. We have opinions, you know, you want to be a lawyer, you know, now it's opportunities for him to, to probably develop in that space and create more opportunities and things of that nature. So again, man, appreciate you coming. But before, well, yeah, before I let you go though, can you please just tell us what's next? You know, what, what's coming down the pipeline for coach Vic, you got some, uh, I believe it's, I don't want to mispronounce it. It's elevated. Hold on. Let me make sure I get the website, right. Elevated authority, elevated yeah. authority. You, you have a website, elevated authority, you got some cool stuff. So right now, just go ahead and kind of tell people what's next coming down the pipeline. I'm sure they're going to want to hit you up after this. I, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. So, you know, as the world is opening back up, you know, businesses, conferences are starting to come back live. And as a speaker, you know, when everything shut down, whew, it was like, what, what next? So I'm excited at the world. Yeah, for back. both of us, brother. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's good to see, you know, some stuff getting back to normal. So for me, I already have uh, four keynotes booked. Uh, for the rest of this year as of right now looking to book more and those four are live um, I got two virtual that uh, we are in negotiations for right now um, I have uh, coaching programs group coaching programs for individuals who are either leaders aspiring leaders or play an important role in an organization uh, that I'm going to be doing to teach them leadership development skills uh, be on the lookout for that. So when you go to my website, elevatedauthority.com, elevated, 
past tense authority.com you'll be able to navigate to see the events that i got going on the different services i provide uh, because in these years that i've been you know in the corporate space i've worked for a multi-billion dollar company as basically a corporate trainer i'm the coach's coach and so hmm. i emphasize change management and helping companies to increase profits and reduce costs well every person is a business so i teach people how to increase profits and reduce costs um so for me when you talk about what's next man is it's growing that platform but i got man i got several brands underneath this umbrella my wife has a business an online women's boutique we have a family business an online t-shirt apparel business that's the logo you see here profile district uh, profile with a y not an i my daughter uh, makes custom rugs helping her to start her llc um, and turn that into a business. My son builds websites and does uh, uh, email marketing. He's uh, coming out of college now. He's about to start his LLC. Like we got a lot of brands going on. And if I could find time, I want to get back out there and volunteer and coach at a local high school too. So uh, that's what's tentatively on the pipeline right now. Plus keeping Purpose Addicts moving, man. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. That, that sounds like a busy household. It reminds me, reminds me of the household I grew up in, man. But uh Appreciate you jumping on. Uh, before I let you go, can you just please tell people how they can get in touch with you? What would be the best way to reach out and then follow along your journey? Yeah, man. Check out the website. That's where all my links are. Obviously, elevatedauthority.com, but I'm always on IG, Coach Vic, the number 14 on IG, Coach Vic, the number 14. So you can find me there. Man, I appreciate you having me on the show, man. I, I listen to uh, your episodes on the show and, and that energy, I felt it right away. And I appreciate what you're doing because this is a message that people need to hear. You got great content, great energy. I can't wait to have you on the show, man. I really appreciate this. Likewise, likewise. I can't wait to be on, man. I can't wait to be on. So uh, before I let you go, though, I'll kind of give you the last word. Just, um, you know, any parting words, leave any athletes, anybody, not just athletes, because it's it's more than just athletes now, as we can see, it's about the people that are making the decisions, about the people who have influence over these young kids. So just kind of give them any, any parting words, any advice. The mic is yours, and I'll give you the last word. I appreciate that, man. Uh, probably the message that I would share with anybody is this. Um, a lot of times we run in circles, we run in groups, we attach ourselves to organizations and we have this calling on our lives to do something greater. We are inspired to help the people around us to be better, but you got to understand that that's a decision that each person has to make. And so as you are trying to influence the world, if you can't change the people around you, then maybe you need to change the people around you. So I'll leave you with that message. Figure out who you need to run with you and don't stop running. All right, fellow teammates, continue to move swiftly. We will talk more soon. Appreciate you, bro.
Blackberry Bold Shawty is a sidekick Used to have a man I used to have a side chick Shawty got wind I had to blow the chick off Got rid of him They both took the shit hard Shawty played the piano Me, I played with white keys Shawty from the south Oh, I think she like me Shawty like Pac Me, Big Papa Screaming, hit him up I'm screaming, who shot ya? I'm on that red wine Shawty like white Same shit, different toilet We both get nice Me, I'm from the Apple Which means I'm Mac She's a PC She lives in my lap Shawty get it in Salt and pepper bag, shorty like the front Bonnie to my clock, both ride shotgun Both covered in gold, like C-3PO James in Florida, let the good times roll Shorty get it in, daddy go hard 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 Shorty get it in, Venus versus Mars Found out she was a cheater. Was supposed to take over. I caught a bump and eat. Thought Shorty like Mike. Found out she like Prince. Thought she was Adrian. It's been rocky ever since. My dollars was down. She left me for some euros. Took my whole flavor. I call her Coke Zero. We were co MVP like Kobe and Shaq. Left me for the heat. We were winning back to back. Said I party too much. Shorty got fed up. Shorty got Britney. Shaved the whole head up. We used to make out. Kissing each other's face off. All for the Ponzi scheme. Damn, Shorty just made off. Shorty get it in. Daddy go hard. Shawty 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 get it in. Venus 